Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. 40 college football bowl games plus the college football playoff, the last month of NFL football, college and pro basketball, hockey, all of that and more is coming at you during this holiday season and Bet Online Sportsbook has you covered. All of the odds, props, promos, and parlays. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome into another fantabulous NFL Monday here on the Take It Easy Podcast. It's week 15, only four more of these to go before the playoffs, and remember, every NFL Monday is one NFL Monday closer to Nathaniel Hackett's inevitable firing. We had a a matchup between future fired coaches today. It was Cliff Kingsbury and Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, We're recording this Sunday uh, Sunday night, so maybe by the time you're listening to this, the loser of that game is going to have their coach fired. Uh, We'll see what happens to Hackett and Kingsbury. Maybe both of them get fired. I, I, I think that would be cool to see both of them have their coach get fired. So we're going to talk about that game and all of the uh, kind of mishmash of bad games on Sunday. Uh, there were a few interesting points about Eagles and Bears that I want to talk about, but we'll, we'll mix all those together. And in order to do that, we're going we're gonna to flip a couple things up here. Instead of waiting until the very end of the podcast to bestow our Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Um, we need to we need to begin the podcast with that award. So let's just flip that around real quick. Kirk Cousins, you madman, you madman, Kirk Cousins, thirty thirty three to zero. At halftime, 36 to 7 with eight minutes to go in the third quarter. And by the way, he didn't even need the full game to erase the largest deficit in NFL history. He did, with eight minutes to go in the third quarter, it was 38 to 7. They got five touchdowns in basically 15 minutes. Because there was a scoop and score that got called back because of, um, I I believe it was, uh, it wasn't Michael Pittman Jr., but there was basically a scoop and score that got called back and then they couldn't overturn the call on replay. And so the, the Colts had to punt to the Vikings, which then led to immediately putting Kirk Cousins in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. So you have a strip, a, a scoop and score fumble that would have potentially tied the game, dissipate, and then... The Vikings get the ball, and we get a 4th and 15. (laughs) A 4th and 15 for Kirk Cousins with three minutes to play. And what does Kirk Cousins do but try and scramble for the first down (laughs) on 4th and 15? Kirk Cousins sees the opening. He sees the 15 yards, and he just gets tripped from behind because he's Kirk Cousins. (laughs) And on 4th and 15... He goes down. The Colts take over. But lo and behold, it wouldn't be a true Vikings trailing by 28 points game, similar to how they came back against the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. Now, they ultimately lost that game against Pittsburgh, but they did come back from 21 points down against Pittsburgh last year. And it wouldn't be a true game without Kirk Cousins getting the ball in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. And just... 
eight-point game. Twenty. It's thirty-six to twenty-eight. There's two minutes and ten seconds to play. Down eight. No timeouts. Sixty-eight yards to go, and just one play to Dalvin Cook ends up erasing the entire play. Kirk Cousins, I saw that moment. I'm like, you know that thing everyone says where like you left Patrick Mahomes too much time. Like um, how Lamar Jackson gets the ball with one timeout and 150 to go down three, but Lamar Jackson's done that with one less timeout and 60 less seconds before, so he gets into field goal range and then there's a minute to play and they're just running clock. Kind of like how that Buffalo Bills game ended against the Dolphins. Well, that's how I felt with Kirk Cousins, which is like, so you're telling me it's going to be an eight-point game, two minutes to go, no timeout, length of the field to go. And I'm looking at that, I'm like, Kirk Cousins has done that needing 15 more yards and needing to do it in one less minute. Oh, my music just ran out. I was uh, I was rambling too long because of how magical this Kirk Cousins purgatory situation was. But there was just one play. It took one play. A pass to Dalvin Cook out of the backfield, and Cook ended up taking it to the goddamn end zone to make it 36-34. After on the drive right before, they had a scoop and score that would have at least brought the game within two points. So that touchdown could have won the game in regulation, meaning that the Vikings essentially scored five touchdowns in 15 minutes of football. It's really like 17, but I think it's more incredible when we think about it in the context of the scoop and score being 15 minutes. They scored five goddamn touchdowns on the Indianapolis Colts, and then the game went to overtime, and it looked like we were going to end in a tie, and the Colts had a second down and nine, and I'm just like, oh god, there's do the Colts start playing for a tie? Because like at this stage of the game, there's just no way that the Indianapolis Colts are going to be able to hit the threshold in order to... There's no way the Colts are going to be able to get nine yards. So at what point do they just kind of like force the Vikings to burn their timeouts and just play for the tie? Lo and behold, they threw an incomplete pass on the next play. So like, yeah, the Colts were pretty much screwed from the get-go in trying to complete their Kirk Cousins... Or to avoid the shame of losing that football game kind of like how the Rams gave back the equivalent of a 32 point lead to Tom Brady in the playoffs last year but then because of that one Stafford to Cooper Cup pass we kind of forget that they just threw up on themselves and threw up on themselves again against Tampa in that playoff game which by the way that's the closest kind of like chaos game like we saw today like the Vikings Bills game and this game which ironically both involve the Vikings those are the two most chaotic football games I've seen since that Rams and Bucks playoff game back in 2022, January. And uh, the Vikings tied the game. They go to overtime. Kirk Cousins feeds a rope of a pass to Adam Thielen. And <laughs> the Vikings win 39-36 on the last play of overtime. With a field goal kick, and by the way, Vikings fans know you don't want that game to come down to a field goal kick. And uh, they won the game. And so uh, this game was just so fascinating because I was actually watching this. I know I have my rule watching no bad football, but I was watching this game early in the morning on Saturday. I think just because of my, my forces of habit of watching college football every Saturday and then not being able to break that in the last two weeks. But I was watching Colts and Vikings... And the game starts off with uh, Colts getting a field goal, then the blocked punt for touchdown for Indianapolis. And then you have the Colts get the ball back after forcing a three and out, and Matt Ryan just marches down the field, six plays, 75 yards, out here looking like Josh Allen on that second drive of the game against the Dolphins on Saturday. And so the the Colts end up going up 17-0, then they end up going up 20 to 0 with a field goal drive then they end up going up 23-0 there was a fumble that led to the first field goal but then they end up going up 23-0 in the second quarter and then on the last drive before the half when Justin Jefferson just goes down and it looks like he's got a bad chest injury but he ends up coming back in the game like at the start of the second half 
Justin Jefferson goes down, and the very next goddamn play, <laughs> Kirk Cousins throws a pick six to make it 30-0. to zero. That wasn't even the end of it, by the way. They punted back to Indy, and Indy went down and kicked a field goal. This was with a minute to play in the half. They threw a pick six, and the Colts still managed to score again before halftime. So when Kirk Cousins throws that pick six and makes it 30-0, to zero, so now you've got... By the way, this is the formula for how a 33-point comeback happens. You have team that is basically tanking, the Indianapolis Colts. They've been a terrible team all season, decimated by injuries, no Darius Leonard, no Jonathan Taylor. Terrible football team against high-scoring offense with a bad defense. That's the formula for how you have these types of ridiculous comebacks because you have team that can score a lot of points but gives up a lot of points against bad football team. And the way bad football team gets up 33-0 to zero is bullshit. What is bullshit? A pick six and a blocked punt for touchdown. How often do you see pick sixes and blocked punts for touchdown in an NFL game, period? Nonetheless, two in the same game. That's like um, when the... 49ers and Packers played in the playoff last year and you had the 49ers block a Mason Crosby field goal and then block a punt for a touchdown like how often do you see one of those in a single game a blocked field goal or a blocked punt for touchdown it's kind of the same equivalent when do you see a pick six pick sixes happen more often than blocked field goals but how often do you see a pick six or a blocked punt for touchdown in the same game. They're in, they're re- very rare. Maybe there's two a season in terms of blocked punts for touchdown. Maybe two and, and a, a butt punt like what the, the Miami Dolphins had against the Bills in week three. Like maybe two and a butt punt a season. So to have that plus a pick six, that's how the Colts went up. 33 to 0 because again the Colts offense was stalling they kicked four field goals in the first half like the Colts could have scored a lot more points given how many BS plays the Vikings gave them in the first half and so you go around to the second half and bad Colts team ends up imploding and the Vikings man I don't know what the deal is with the Vikings and that because My experience with this game was when Kirk Cousins throws that pick six, I'm just dying laughing, like laughing out loud. And I don't know why I took so much joy. I sent this to my brother. I sent this in my group chats. I don't know why I take so much joy yesterday in laughing at Kirk Cousins. I don't know why I took so much joy in laughing at the Vikings getting smacked around by the Colts. It's not like I've been a Vikings hater this season, like I've been for uh, uh, insert team here. I don't know exactly who you'd think I'd be a hater of specifically, but it's it's not like I'm actively rooting for the Vikings to employ. Oh, the New York Giants. That's a good example. Like actively pointing out the New York Giants are frauds. Like it's not like that where I'm like, up, oh, see, see, see. I mean, I do think the Vikings have had some bullshit victories, and the Vikings probably should have uh, an 8-5 and five record at this point in the season, if not for their stupid comebacks. Or, wait, there's been 14 games. They should have an 8-6 and six record instead of an 11-3 and three record. If you count the, the bullshit comeback against Detroit, the bullshit comeback against Baltimore, and the absolute 33 points of bullshit coming back against the Colts. Like, from where those three games were... It's like a 1 in 5,000 chance that the Minnesota Vikings have the record that they currently possess right now. It's probably even more than that. I mean, the Colts game was a, a, a 1 in 1,160 chance of winning that game. The Bills game was like the Bills at one point had a 90-something win probability. So we're talking about 1 in 30,000? Jesus Christ. If you take the the odds of all three of those games, the Lions game in week three, the the Colts game this week, and the uh, Bills game a few weeks ago for the Vikings, that's like a 1 in 30,000 chance that the Vikings win all three of those football games, and a pretty good chance that they go, oh, and, uh, like 98, wait, I'm trying to do the math here, like a 98. 7% chance that they end up being 
oh and <laughs> that they end up being oh and three in those circumstances the fact that they're three and oh in those three games is just abjectly ridiculous and so i don't know why i took so much joy in watching them get the break speed off of them and the reason it was so confusing is because when the game script flipped and the vikings became cardiac kids all of a sudden and they're not just coming back from 33 down, but should have won the game in regulation from 33 down, I immediately flipped from laughing at the Vikings to, oh my gosh, please win this game. Please win this game. And maybe it has to do with the Kirk Cousins purgatory joke that we've been making about Kirk Cousins always being down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, length of the field to go. And this season, the opponents of Kirk Cousins are always down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, length of the field to go. Maybe it's that joke was the reason I took so much joy in the Vikings getting absolutely boat raced. And we talked about this with Razor Rosenthal, how the Vikings versus the 49ers, if the Vikings were to host that wildcard game, or sorry, that divisional playoff game against the Niners, it's not a matter of how many points the Vikings are favored, or uh, the Niners are, it's not whether the Niners are favored on the road against the Vikings in a playoff game, it's how many points are the 49ers favored on the road in the playoffs against the Vikings at halftime of that Colts game on, on um, at halftime of the Colts game on Saturday, the Vikings for the season had a negative 34 point differential for the season. They had a, they, their opponents had outscored the Vikings by 34 points. The Vikings were 10 and three at that point. The Denver Broncos who are three and 10 have a negative 44 point differential they have a 10 point point differential compared to the vikings every single team in the nfc south carolina who's tanking but not tanking correctly atlanta new orleans and tampa all four of those teams had a better point differential than the minnesota vikings at halftime of that colts game the minnesota vikings this season are like the sixth best team in the nfc And they're also going to win the NFC North in some absolute bullshit, in part because no alternatives have been provided, but the Vikings should be a three seed and under non-NFC South circumstances, a classic four seed, which is your division has a bunch of bad teams or rebuilding teams, and so you get to win the division, and you get to stack up some easy wins against your divisional opponents, and so you go into the playoffs at 10-7, and and you have to play the Dallas Cowboys in the wildcard game. That's the identity of the Vikings. The Vikings and the Titans are, are kind of doing a, a, a point at each other. And I know I've made jokes about the Titans in the past, and I've been right about them. Not uh, I've been right about them almost every time, except for that one time I said they shouldn't have given Derrick Henry a contract extension. But except for that one, I was right about the 2019 Titans. I was right about the 2021 Titans. I'm usually right about Tennessee, and I'm telling you, the Vikings are the titans of the nfc basically at this point and so minnesota who has pulled off these bullshit wins that have been so entertaining again the two most entertaining football games this season are vikings and bills and now vikings and colts and i just wanted it to happen because god 33 points with i mean Patrick Mahomes might have been a better person to orchestrate that comeback for like the lore of NFL history. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers might have been better names to illustrate that comeback, but man, you can't think of a better name. I, I, I like th- you can think of better names, but Kirk Cousins is a pretty good one in terms of just who's the quarterback who pulled off the 33 point bullshit comeback. Kirk Cousins is pretty high up on that list because we know Kirk Cousins does this bullshit all the time. We know Kirk Cousins, when he gets down by 14 points, is in his element because then he starts doing those bullshit, crazy plays. Like, it's the reason Kirk Cousins has gotten so much stupid money is he puts up good statistics. At the end of the season, you look at his numbers and you're like, okay, these are pretty damn good statistics. He is a tier three quarterback. Very similar to Derek Carr. He puts up statistics and he has a couple of memorable plays that we can all point back to and say, yes, he did good. Instead of always failing at the end of games, like, uh, I don't know, Jacoby Brissett. Instead of always failing at the end of games, Kirk Cousins has some memorable great moments, 
some not-so-memorable great moments. It's a mixed bag, but it's really hard to lead those memorable moments back. So Kirk Cousins gets all this money from the Vikings and for a couple of years Washington because he is Kirk Cousins. He's the 13th best quarterback in the NFL. He puts up baseline numbers every year because he's Kirk Cousins and he's going to try and scramble on 4th and 15 and drive Vikings fans insane. So, like, Kirk Cousins is a pretty damn good name to lead the comeback. Again, Mahomes might have been better. Brady might have been better. Rodgers might have been better. Kirk Cousins is a pretty good name. If you're picking, like, not one of the all-time greats to lead the greatest comeback ever, if you're picking a Frank Reich who led the 32-point comeback for the Bills back in the 1990s, the only other time a team with a 30-plus point lead has gone on to lose. I mean... If you're picking a name like that, Kirk Cousins is not a bad name to pick. It just didn't end up being quite as perfect as who ends up being on the losing side of this, which is Matt Ryan. Which, there's literally not a better name you could find in the history of the NFL. History of the NFL. Who's the quarterback on the losing side of the biggest collapse in NFL history? Matt fucking Ryan that's who's gonna be on the other side of that loss and by the way this one wasn't even Matt Ryan's fault man like Matt Ryan the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan as we've been calling him since October of 2020 the the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan was not to blame on this one we talked about the formula earlier how do you have these gigantic type of comebacks the exact formula is bad team takes the lead by 30 points against a team that scores a lot of points and gives up a lot of points. Team that is bad gets the 30-point lead, and they get the 30-point lead on bullshit, which is a blocked punt for touchdown. Not to say that it's a bullshit score. It's just you only see three of those a year, and it's a massive seven-point swing. You only see a pick six maybe once a week in the NFL, maybe twice a week in the NFL, For those to both happen in the same game, that's a 14-point swing right there. And then the Vikings are going to fumble the ball when they go in for their first scoring drive. And then you're going to turn that into three points. Like, you're up 33 points, and maybe you should be up more. But you're up 33 points, but you haven't been outplayed by 33. You haven't outplayed the other team by 33 points. That's why it was, I mean, not why, but it helps explain why it was so easy for the Vikings to just storm right back in that game. Because... The Colts have a shitty defense and a shitty offense. It's the reason they fired Frank Reich and made Jeff Saturday their coach. And they punted on the season back when they fired Frank Reich. Because again, the only coach to ever make the playoffs was Rich Bisaccia last year as an interim. And by the way, that was not firing the coach because of performance. That was firing the coach because John Gruden's emails were released and revealed that he was all of the isms during his time in the NFL. He is, uh, that was extraneous circumstances and some bullshit, like winning a lot of one possession games that allowed the Raiders to bullshit their way into the playoffs. So again, no coach has ever been fired for performance reasons. And then the interim comes in and makes the playoffs. It's just really, really unlikely in the NFL. When you fire a coach, you are punting on the season. And the Colts were punting on the season. And that's how it's possible that they have that comeback. This was Matt Ryan's name attached to it, but this one wasn't even Matt Ryan's fault all that much. Now, you could argue the Super Bowl one wasn't all Matt Ryan's fault either. I mean, in overtime, he never got to touch the football. He did have the pass when they should have ran it, but people put that on Kyle Shanahan. Matt Ryan's just the face of blown leads, and it didn't help that the Falcons also, like, blew, I think we we did the math, the Falcons blew 16 leads in the five years following that Super Bowl while Matt Ryan was their quarterback. They blew the lead 16 times in the second half. I think a handful of them by double-digit scores. In one season, they had eight just bullshit losses, whether it was Young Way Koo missing his only field goal of the season or Todd Gurley accidentally falling into the end zone and allowing Matthew Stafford to come back and win the game. Like, 
16 times after the Super Bowl in the next five years did the Falcons blow a lead. So it didn't help that that kind of became the reputation of the Falcons. But like this one was not Matt Ryan's fault. And yet it's going to be Matt Ryan's legacy game. I made that joke on the internet and I stand by it. That's Matt Ryan's legacy game is blowing a 33 point lead, the largest in NFL history. And I think we can officially say, and and I'm going to wait until we talk to Morgan from Australia to officially confirm this. I think we can officially say the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan is, is dead and buried. Like there, there will be nothing else Matt Ryan does for the remainder of his career that will have any sort of meaning. He, Matt Ryan, if it were up to me, would be replaced by Sam Ellinger the next week and retire at the end of the season. That is the last football game you will ever see Matt Ryan play. 33-point loss, 33-point lead, falling apart to the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. If it were my call, that would be the last time you ever see Matt Ryan play a football game. Walking off the field, that is the end of of Matt Ryan's career. And so effectively in my mind, this is the end of Matt Ryan's career. There will be no more football games that Matt Ryan plays with any meaning. And even if he's still in the NFL, we'll, we'll treat him the way we treat Joe Flacco at this point in the game, which is like everything Joe Flacco has done in his career post Baltimore, maybe you could argue post Denver, everything post Denver for Joe Flacco doesn't really exist in our mind. Most people don't even remember Joe Flacco was on the Eagles last year. Like Joe Flacco, the last four years of Joe Flacco's career have just kind of been, have existed, but people kind of are like, oh yeah, Joe Flacco, the journeyman quarterback who won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. And then he got traded to Denver. And then I think he was on the Jets. Like, that's how you think of Joe Flacco's career. Matt Ryan's career from this point forward, whatever ends up happening is Matt Ryan, quarterback of the of the Falcons, won an MVP, goes to the Colts, and blew a 33-point lead against the Vikings with Jeff Saturday as his coach. If we can forget all the other details, and I know I say a lot of the time, like, I want history to remember the details. Doing those simple descriptions does a disservice to the greatness of the players. It's why I hate that we only remember NBA champions or Super Bowl champions and maybe the team who played in the Super Bowl when like Buffalo and Kansas City delivered the greatest football game I've seen maybe in my lifetime, if not the best, one of the best games in my lifetime. And because neither team made the Super Bowl, it might get lost to history, which is one of the great shames that could happen if we just forget about that Buffalo-Kansas City playoff game. But even still, even if we don't, like, we should try and have more of a deeper conversation so, like, we remember, hey, Giannis won two MVPs and also finished in the top three five times. Joel Embiid hasn't won an MVP. He's finished in the top two twice. Like, James Harden won one MVP. He finished in the top two four times in five years. Like, remembering those things is great, for telling the history of sports because it does it gives a greater appreciation of greatness in this case don't need context don't need nuance just this is this is matt ryan's career all encapsulated into one they were going to bench him for the entire season wasn't even a money saving tactic they were just going to bench matt ryan for the season and ultimately they brought him back when the flying jeff saturday came in to take over the colts and Matt Ryan got that. I think Matt Ryan might have preferred just not coming back when 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 Jim Ursay and Frank Reich embarrassed him publicly by saying not only are, is Matt Ryan injured, but we're going to replace him with Sam Ellinger for the rest of the season. Healthy, even if he were healthy, we'd be replacing him with Sam Ellinger. When the Colts went out of their way to embarrass Matt Ryan with the decision to go to Sam Ellinger. In that moment, I think it might have been better to just cut your losses there. Because in the end, Frank Reich got fired. And in the end, Jeff Saturday came in and was like, why am I playing Sam Ellinger? Let's go back to Matt Ryan. And the game that if Frank Reich were the coach, Sam Ellinger would have been starting, Matt Ryan gets to be the quarterback of a team that blew the largest lead in the history of the NFL. 
I bet he wishes deep down somewhere that he had not been on the field for that one. And that's just a brutal way to go out if you're Matt Ryan. That's just a brutal way to go out. And also, there is no more poetic ending to Matt Ryan's career, given that his reputation will be the guy who blew leads. 28-3 to will be the game he is always remembered for. Blowing this 33-point lead will end up being his legacy game. And that's got to suck, man. That's got to suck. And I know I'm doing him no disservice by repeatedly bringing it up over and over again. But man, that's got to suck so bad to be Matt Ryan in that circumstance. Kansas City, you made me sweat this one out today <laughs> because I was uh, I was getting ready to uh, talk about what would happen if Kansas City lost to Houston despite the fact Kansas City had 280 more yards of offense than Houston. Man, I was doing all the calculations in my head when Harrison Butker missed that field goal and not once but twice. Kansas City had late game drives with their offense completely rolling. Patrick Mahomes finished the game. We'll talk more about this later, but Patrick Mahomes finished that game with 18 consecutive completions, which is close to an NFL record. It's more consecutive completions than any quarterbacks not named Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers in the last 10 seasons in terms of their career highs. Like this, Kansas City's offense was rolling on all cylinders, and there was a chance they were going to lose to the only team in the NFL that we know is actively tanking and actively tanking correctly. Because we thought Carolina was actively tanking. Carolina's incapable of tanking correctly. Five consecutive seasons, just incapable of tanking correctly. Everyone else who's at the top of the draft doesn't even own their own draft pick, so they're not tanking. I mean, the Rams are bad, but they don't have an incentive to tank. The Broncos are bad. They don't have an incentive to tank. Same is true. Who am I forgetting? Oh, the Saints. The Saints are bad. They don't have an incentive to tank. So the the, the only team we know is actively tanking almost beat the almost beat the Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes led team without without doing anything with Kansas City outgaining them by over two hundred and eighty yards. Kansas City finished with over five hundred yards of offense. And so the way I was doing the calculation in my head is Kansas City finds themselves in a position in which the way to beat them is is for them to beat themselves. If you're going through the games that Kansas City has lost over the last four seasons, we call it five if you want to go back to Mahomes' rookie season also, but specifically post-Patrick Mahomes' injury in 2019. Remember he he injured his knee against Denver and missed like 6 games. Since that moment, Kansas City has won, I want to say over 75% of their football games. They've had multiple streaks in which they've gone 24 and 5 and 26 and 1 in two separate stretches. So if you take out that that period where they were kind of figuring shit out at the start of 2021, Kansas City, basically, if you take out that stretch at the start of last year, they've had consecutive streaks in which they've gone 50-7, and seven, if you count the loss to Tampa in the Super Bowl. Like, the, the formula for beating Kansas City is for them to beat themselves because they are just so overwhelming on offense that even if you replace Tariq Hill with seven different guys, one of them a converted tight end to wide receiver, one of them Juju Smith-Schuster, now Jarek McKinnon, who is basically doing everything Clyde Edwards-Alaire used to do but better, which is really shocking given that like Clyde Edwards-Alaire was a first-round pick and played really well. And they, they actually do better when you slide, what was it, Damian Williams in for the Super Bowl and he has 150 yards of offense. Or you slide in Jarek McKinnon and Jarek McKinnon's had consecutive weeks in which he's gone for over 150 yards of offense and two touchdowns back-to-back weeks. 
like Kansas City's offense is so incredible, but the way to to slow them down is for them to make mistakes. And that's what the Houston Texans defense did. Like immense credit to the Houston Texans defense for what they did to stop Kansas City and force turnovers on Kansas City. And the two turnovers that led to 14 points is is the big example. Like they they only had 200 yards of offense in the entire game, despite the fact that it looked like Kansas City's defense was making the same mistakes as before. Added on to those two turnovers, you have in the first drive, or sorry, the last drive of regulation, when it's 24-24 and they're setting up the Butker field goal, the one that ended up getting missed for 51 yards, Houston had a great stop where they go stop run, stop run. Kansas City didn't get great push up on the offensive line on the second one. And then on third and 11, with a minute to go, and the Texans having no timeouts on a third and 11, they were able to discern that Kansas City was going to call a screen pass, one to kill time off the clock, two to try and get a big chunk play for a first down, and three, defend it in such a way where they can actually force a negative play for McKinnon, which then forced the 51-yard field goal that Butker missed. Now, Butker's 50-50 chance of making a 51-yard field goal in a dome. Like, Butker had one of those bad days that we weren't used to four years ago, but post-injury, he just hasn't looked right. And so what's interesting about that was holding Kansas City to zero points on that last drive of regulation when Kansas City, when Mahomes has completed 18, I think at the time it was like 14, when Mahomes has completed 14 consecutive passes and you're able to hold them to zero points on a last minute drive, that even if it doesn't count as a turnover in the box score, that counts as a massive defensive success for the Houston Texans. And then on the following drive, Kansas City does what they do against every team, which is we can do whatever we want on offense. We're going to march right down the field with Kelsey. We're going to march down the field with Juju. You're going to take the big plays out of our arsenal, so we're just going to dink and dunk down the field. Mahomes is going to have 18 consecutive completions, which, like I said earlier, like only Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers have had longer stretches of completion pers- of consecutive completions in the last decade among quarterbacks who you know I think there's a weird like uh I think it's like day uh Falk or something is in there but like of quarterbacks you know only Drew Brees and Philip Rivers have had longer streaks than Mahomes had against the Texans and so Kansas City's going to move right down the field no incompletions we can do whatever we want because the Texans don't have a good defense and then on third down and four they get a sack that forces Kansas City out of field goal range at a moment where I'm watching and I'm thinking Kansas City should take the top off right now. It's third and four. You're at the Texans' 44-yard line. You've completed 18 straight passes. This is the moment to take the top off. And even if it's not a 44-yard touchdown, go for 20 yards down the field. Develop it. And and the Texans blitzed, and the Texans got Mahomes. Like, Mahomes is great at buying time and rolling out of the pocket, and the Texans just collapsed on him before he could even roll out of the pocket and the, the Kansas City had to punt back to Houston in overtime. So if you talk about those four drives, the, the, the fumble by Pacheco, the turnover by Mahomes, the, um, the, the last drive of regulation that ends in the Butker missed field goal, and the sack on Mahomes on the first drive of overtime, that's four big stops that the Houston Texans had. And, and maybe not the last drive where Mahomes takes the sack, but could be classified as... Kansas City beating themselves, like leaving four points on the board with the kicking unit and then having two turnovers, like that could be classified as Kansas City beating themselves. And even in a game where Houston is, where Kansas City finished with 270 more yards than Houston, and by the way, 15 of those yards technically counted, but Davis Mills fumbled immediately after gaining those 15 yards. So basically, you're talking about a 500. It was 509 yards of offense for Kansas City compared to, prior to Davis Mills' fumble, 211 for the Texans. That's a 300-yard difference between Kansas City and Houston. Houston still went to overtime and had the ball 
needing to go 50 yards against a not great Kansas City defense in order to kick a game-winning field goal. And the fact that Houston was in that position is remarkable because they followed the formula for how to beat Kansas City, which is have Kansas City beat themselves and then make a couple of key plays in key situations, which is exactly how, if we're thinking of the seven losses Kansas City has had over the past, uh, you know, three and a half years and change. I mean, Kansas, like I said, they lost four games in the middle of that uh the beginning of last year when Mahomes had 10 interceptions in six games and Kansas City was trying to figure it out. But, like, if you take out that stretch, like, games that they lost, Super Bowl to Tampa, on down, like, Kansas City gets beat when they make the the mistakes. Cincinnati did that to them in the playoffs last year. A couple of times, Buffalo, I mean, uh, the Cincinnati game, what was that, two weeks ago, in the Cincinnati game... Kelsey's fumble was the 14-point swing that ended up changing that game. We talked about that in our post-game show. Kansas City making the mistakes is the way to beat them. And by the way, it's not a surprise. Like Kansas City knows the easiest way to beat them is to have them make the mistakes. And the reason that's the case is because Kansas City is so good. They are the best offense in the NFL. Jalen Hurts ended up beating the Bears today. Those two interceptions are probably going to be the reason he has almost no chance of catching Mahomes because Mahomes' three-interception game the week before um, when they were playing... Who did they play last week? Uh, When Kansas City was playing... Oh, it's Denver. Broncos country, let's ride. They, um, they, they almost. It was a six-point game at the end. There was a chance Denver might come back from twenty-seven down to beat Kansas City. When Mahomes threw those three interceptions, when they were up twenty-seven-zero against the Broncos, like that—that that was a moment where it's like, okay, those are the mistakes that might cost Patrick Mahomes the MVP if he continues to make them. Because right now, the MVP is Patrick Mahomes's. And Vegas odds are suggesting that it's like minus three hundred at this point, which suggests that like. You know, something he's going to have to throw it away. This late in the season, he's going to have to either get injured or throw it away, which they didn't do that today. I mean, the statistics weren't great, but like they didn't do that today. So Mahomes walks away with, again, 500 yards of offense and a second consecutive week in, in which a rando running back, Jarek McKinnon, has 150 yards of offense. I mean, Mahomes' stat line today 36 for 41. And again, he he had 18 consecutive completions to end the game. 36 for 41, 336 yards, two touchdowns, no INTs. That is a passer rating of, I'm going to guess, in the 120s. Let's see what uh, Patrick Mahomes' passer. 117.1. That's a 117.1 passer rating. And that is th- those are the numbers that are going to be exactly why Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City are going to why Patrick Mahomes is going to win MVP and why pretty much anyone in the sport is going to struggle against Kansas City's offense. And the thing I've been talking about is like you can take away Tariq Hill, but if Aaron Rodgers can complete 15 consecutive passes against a bad defense, so can Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has has figured out and Andy Reid's offense has schemed in such a way that they're going to take what's given to them. They're going to go short, 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 don't make mistakes, don't make mistakes, middle of the field. Uh, 10 different receivers are going to have our 24 catches like they did against the Rams or eight different players are going to have cat uh, are going to have 12 catches like they did against the Bengals. That's the offense that we're running now and it's the most effective offense. They know that if they make mistakes, they are the reason that that is the reason they're most likely to lose. I mean they they might lose to Buffalo cuz Buffalo will simply outplay them and match them offensively. And and Buffalo's offense against Kansas City's defense is a total mismatch. So like there are ways for them to be beat, but the most probable way is for them to be the ones making the mistakes. The way they lose to Indy, the way they almost lose to Denver, the way they lose to the Bengals is by them just making the mistakes. And occasionally they're going to get beat, but they're going to win 95% of the time. Like, they will get beat by Buffalo at home like they did in the regular season this year. They will get beat by the Bengals in Week 17 last year because Jamar Chase goes for 300 yards. They will get beat by Tampa in the Super Bowl because of that offensive line crumbling at the end and Tom Brady throwing for, uh, uh, I think it was like three touchdowns against that defense. Like, they will be beat by great teams. They will beat 
every single team that is not a division. They will beat every team 9 through 32 in the NFL every single game as long as they just don't the most likely way don't make mistakes if they don't make mistakes even with their subpar defense kansas city will beat every team 9 through 32 in the nfl pretty much every single week and that's the strength of having patrick mahomes and andy reed and so it was so interesting to see them go for 500 yards of offense patrick mahomes complete 18 consecutive passes and complete 88 percent of his passes for the game for 336 yards and Kansas City still almost gives the game away because of fumble by Pacheco, uh, the turnover by Mahomes, the sack in overtime, and the missed field goal by Butker, and Andy Reid's conservative play calling at the end of that game. All of that explains how they still almost gave the game away, despite the fact that they outclassing Houston as they should have in basically every facet of the game offensively. Bears still suck. I know I love playing that song of the Bears Still Suck, sung by people with deep Chicago accents, but I I do feel bad for Justin Fields after that one, and he's going to be rewarded for all this losing with a top three pick in the NFL draft, so they're going to get one of these blue chip, blue chip prospects coming in the door. The performance that Justin Fields put up on Sunday would get a victory against any team other than Philadelphia. And what I mean by any team other than Philadelphia is, even though Jalen Hurts threw two interceptions, even though Justin Fields had a second and 27 play where he broke four tackles, got uh, stepped out at the nine-yard line, so he went from second and 27, went over 40 yards for first and goal, and then finished it off with a David Montgomery touchdown Given all of those circumstances, the Eagles against the shitty Chicago Bears defense, which isn't as shitty as their record might suggest, uh, the Chicago's defense this year in terms of DVOA, which is football outsider statistic uh, that, that measures defense, it ranks the Bears 32nd in the NFL. But rushing-wise, they're kind of in the bottom 10. Scoring-wise, they're in the bottom 5. The problem with the Bears is that they don't do anything well. But ranking them 32nd in the NFL is a little bit difficult to come to terms with because the Bears are bad. They're not as bad as, uh, say, the Raiders or the Falcons. They're, they're, they're not as bad as those teams, but they are one of the, the worst defenses in the NFL. And the problem is the Eagles have the best offense, uh, arguably, in the NFL. Statistically, they're ranked 3rd, 2nd, depending on which metric you're looking at. They are they are indisputably one of the best offenses in the NFL. Jalen Hurts is indisputably an MVP candidate. And the Eagles can just bomb away against a bad defense where A.J. Brown gets a 69-yard completion to wipe out all the good work you're doing. Devonta Smith can have a 50-yard completion that leads to a Jalen Hurts rushing touchdown after Jalen Hurts has thrown two interceptions. Like they can just they can wipe out all that good work that you're doing because uh, you know you have to do the incredible ridiculous plays like Justin Fields does, and you have to keep the Eagles' offense off the field. So not only do you have to do the bullshit crazy plays, you also have to control time of possession pretty significantly to have a chance at beating the Eagles even when the Eagles com- commit two turnovers. And so game script, you could kind of some of the same stuff I said about Kansas City and Houston, you could say the same thing about Philadelphia and Chicago where the Eagles can basically just do whatever they want on offense and only because they made multiple multiple mistakes on offense does the game actually get closer than it was. 
And so walking out of it, uh, on the flip side where I'm like, damn, Kansas City, how could you let Houston stay in there a bit? I feel bad for Chicago that they ended up losing that game, and I feel bad for Justin Fields because Justin Fields is so entertaining. So entertaining. And there's not a single entertaining thing on the Houston Texans. Therefore, I'm like, you should have lost that game by 17 points, you dumb, dumb Houston Texans. But then I look at Chicago. It's like that Gordon Ramsay meme. You know, the meme where he's like calling someone a donkey and then he gets to the little girl and he's like, oh, come here, come here. I'm like, when the Texans go to overtime against Kansas City, I'm like, you stupid donkey, you deserve to lose this game by 20 points. And then when it's Chicago in basically the exact same situation, I'm like cradling Justin Fields, the precious Justin Fields. And I'm like, oh, you deserve so much better. You you should have won this game against almost any other team in the league. You would have won this game. You come here, my child. Like, that's basically where I'm at right now. The Texans and Bears, I kind of treat with the same level of disdain. The only thing is Chicago has just... Uh, Chicago did one thing right, and that was trade two first-round picks for Justin Fields. And so now Justin Fields is doing all of this amazing shit while the Jets are stuck with Zach Wilson trying to pitchy pitchy woo woo their way to victories in the seven seed against the Lions. And the the New England Patriots are running eight minute drives with Mac Jones and basically driving Mac Jones insane. Like, I don't know how many how much you guys saw the Patriots and Raiders game, but it was like all of the all of the Patriots assistant coaches were like, how can we play as little football as possible? There were four total drives in the first half. Two for each team. The Raiders, the, this was just peak Patriots offense. It was Raiders eight-minute field goal drive. Patriots eight-minute field goal drive stalled four times at the goal line. They got stopped on a stuff on first and goal through an incomplete pass on second and third goal. Then they completed on fourth down, completed the, or I'm sorry, they, they had an incompletion on second down. They completed the touchdown on third down as a pass to Jacoby Myers. The Patriots called a timeout, so wiped the touchdown away. Then they throw an incompletion where Mac Jones is pounding his fists on the ground. The Raiders call a second timeout, before a fourth and goal at the one, in which they then QB sneak coming out of a timeout, and then they false started on the QB sneak. So now they kick a field goal after an eight and a half minute drive that was fought, was their first drive of the game. So after both teams had field goal drives to start the game, there was 11 minutes and 20 seconds left to play in the second quarter. This was McDaniels and Belichick and Matt Patricia and Joe Judge offensive masterclass, which is just we're going to possess the ball as long as we physically can and end up kicking field goals. I hated watching every second of that, and it took 16 minutes. I watched it because I'm working the game. It took, it took 19 minutes and two seconds to complete the first two drives of the game, and the score was three to three. Just, just abjectly infuriating to watch. But then the Raiders ended up scoring a touchdown, and then the Patriots ended up going down the field in the last five minutes of the drive. So, like, side tangent to what I was talking about is like, people during the 2021 draft kept trying to convince me against all odds, against all odds, that somehow. Justin Fields was not better than Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, even though Justin Fields had been projected to be the number two pick. There were arguments that could be made for taking Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. And all of a sudden, it was Zach Wilson's for sure going to be the number two pick. Do we really trust the Jets to do that shit? And then people were trying to tell me that the, the Niners were trading up to three and that they wanted to take mac jones over justin fields i was like what the fuck are we talking about so basically i'm like cradling my beloved justin fields trying to figure out ways to get him out of chicago so that he doesn't have to deal with 25 to 20 losses despite the fact that every single week chicago plays he does some cool shit and every single week regardless of opponent they lose 25 to 20 
And that's why, even though the Eagles and Bears basically played the exact same game as Kansas City and Houston, which was the Eagles outgained the Bears by a whole bunch of yards, the Eagles just had two really bad turnovers that kept the game close, but they still could do whatever they want against the shitty defense that was the Bears, and Kansas City could do whatever they want against the shitty Texans defense, and Mahomes had a 118 passer rating with 18 consecutive completions. Even in that case, the Texans and Bears basically playing the exact same game. I did compliment the Texans' defense earlier. Let's not be too harsh. I did compliment the Texans' defense. But even in that whole game script scenario, I uh, still want to cradle my beloved Justin Fields and tell him that everything is going to be okay and that you're going to get Will Anderson at the end of this. You're going to get a blue-chip offensive lineman prospect. Everything's going to be a little bit better. Everything It's going to get better from here, Justin. I it sure hope so because you are special and you are so entertaining to watch. And I just wish you had gone to the Jets or the 49ers. I just, I just wish you had ended up with the Jets or the 49ers. All right, before we sign off here for the day, there are a few topics that I just want to briefly touch on before we go. Number one, Dallas Cowboys lost to the Jaguars. Jaguars won the game on a pick six in overtime. It was a wild game. Dallas Cowboys turned the ball over a lot, which is super interesting because that hasn't been something that, one, has happened in Dak Prescott's career, and two, Dak Prescott has been able to do quietly. Yet somehow both of those things are happening this year. They're turning the ball over a lot, and this isn't like an end-of-the-world conversation. We're actually treating the Cowboys like a normal football team this year, which I think is super interesting. And even so, Dak Prescott's been able to still be basically a tier three quarterback statistically. Like he's, I think he's still the 12th ranked passer in the NFL this year. Second interesting thing, if you were to make a power rankings list right now, be pretty hard to dispute that the Detroit Lions are not a top 10 team. And this is after our Thanksgiving spectacular in which we said, uh, or I said, basically, that Dan Campbell, I thought he was going to get fired at the end of this season. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be the, the the path of the fired coach or the path of the tanking, rebuilding coach. But now Detroit's won six of their last seven games. And that one loss, they like kind of almost beat the Buffalo Bills at home on Thanksgiving. It took a last-second Josh Allen drive to beat them. So... Detroit's really freaking good. Their offense is really freaking good. Jamal Williams leads the league in touchdowns rushing this year. The Jared Goff has put up top 10 passing yards this year, which is kind of a mirage, but at least they're doing something right. Like passing yards is sometimes a mirage for efficiency on offense, but they've got a they've got a top 10 offense this season. And the Detroit Lions are actually a genuine top 10 team in the NFL that was able to hold the shitty Jets offense to 17 points. They did just enough to get the win. So good on you, Detroit Lions. Number three, Tampa Bay's defense is really, really good and getting really, really healthy at the right time. They're playing Dallas in that playoff game, and I'm I'm just saying it's not as much of a of a game over as people think it is. Like I know Tampa Bay has been bad offensively this year, worst rushing team in the NFL. Y'all, that defense can keep them in a football game. I, this is that that Cowboys Bucks wild card game, five four that we're headed towards. It's it's going to be really entertaining. Number four, Atlanta Falcons. You finally went to if your team is going to suck, suck with the rookie Desmond Ritter. Not had a great game against the New Orleans Saints, and they lost, and that's okay. You're playing for draft positioning. You need to figure out a long-term answer at the quarterback position. Might as well play the young guy if the team is going to be bad anyways. So I'm glad that they finally made the decision to switch to Desmond Ritter. Also, Arthur Smith had like the most Arthur Smith moment ever when he called a run play on 3rd and 14, and it worked. <laughs> it worked. He called a, cue, a, a, a running back draw. Or maybe it was a counter play, but basically he called one of those classic Madden shotgun run plays and he converted a third and fourth team running the football. So shout out to Arthur Smith for being committed to I want to run the ball 15 times in a row 
every game, and that's the offense he wants to run. And he keeps investing top 10 picks in receivers. I know Kyle Pitts is out for season, so it makes it a little bit easier to commit to the run, but it's a soft entry for Desmond Ritter, and uh, I think uh, I think Arthur Smith is living his best life, even though his team is sitting at 5-9. and nine. But if he had the Jets' defense, Falcons would win the NFC South, problem isn't the offense the problem is the defense for the Falcons I'm not saying Arthur Smith is a problem for choosing to basically just do his bread and butter offense I'm saying that Arthur Smith has built a mediocre offense on the cheap he's getting value at the position and again if your offense is going to be bad be bad with the rookie and that's what the Falcons are doing right now because they're building an offense that doesn't need a quarterback Last thing I wanted to talk about, and this is just kind of going through the bad teams in the league on this uh, NFL Monday, because seven weeks ago, uh, we, we dedicated the first part of our show to talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and how the Pittsburgh Steelers should have gone to Kenny Pickett. Again, if your team is going to suck, suck with the rookie. They were 2-6 and six at the time, and they had a stretch of games where they were playing the Dolphins, the Bills, the Buccaneers, and uh, another really good team that I can't remember right now. I think it was the Bengals. But they basically had four games against four of the eight best teams in the NFL. At the time, you could argue Tampa Bay was in that group. And they came out 2-6. and six. They had one of the worst records in the NFL. TJ Watt was out for uh, an extended period of time, and... Basically, I wrote down that like we can chalk up this as an L for the Steelers. They will get a blue-chip prospect, turn around with a strong defense and strong coaching, and they will be able to compete next season. The Eagles was the team I was thinking of that they had to play, but we, we will chalk this up as an L. We will come back next year, and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers will be back into fighting for wildcard contention. And since then, they've they've gone between Pickett and Trubisky because Pickett got a concussion last week. So it's been like four games of Pickett and two and a half games of Trubisky. Pittsburgh has walked out of those games now with a... So since the game where they got the, the breaks beat off them by the Eagles and Kenny Pickett had a terrible game, they beat the Saints at home 20-10. to 10. Which you know they, Kenny Pickett had 199 yards, no touchdowns. You know it was a, a decent game, so they beat the, the they beat the Saints with defense, 20 to 10. They got in a shootout with the Bengals and lost 37 to 30. I I didn't watch that game, so I don't remember how the game script went down. Just looking at it real quick, it looks like that a garbage time touchdown was the reason the game was closer than it was. But Pittsburgh was winning at halftime. I don't remember that game because I didn't watch it. But Pittsburgh was beating the Steel. Uh, Pittsburgh was beating the Bengals at halftime. Uh, then they beat the Colts on Monday Night Football, which was uh, the highest QBR game I believe of the season for Kenny Pickett. I don't. Um, I don't remember exactly how it went down. I, I'm trying to remember. Oh, Kenny Pickett. Yeah, yeah. That was the game where Pickett completed like 70% of his passes. He was like 20 for 28. Um, he did just enough to win that game. So 24-17. Then they beat the Falcons. Again, as we said, the Falcons, if you're going to be bad, be bad with be, be bad with the rookie. But they still had Mariota at the time, and the Steelers beat them. Then they almost beat the Ravens with Anthony Brown, and then they beat the the Carolina Panthers today, who had won like three of their last six games. So credit to the Steelers for beating the bad teams. Uh, their victories against the Saints, Colts, Falcons, and Panthers. I mean, they've they've beaten every NFC South team so far this season, and that's a good testament to the Pittsburgh Steelers because I would have said they would have been just in the same group as the the terrible teams of the NFC South and. Pittsburgh finds themselves now sitting at 6-8, and eight. and clearly they're not going to make the playoff. Clearly they are a third-place team in the, the AFC North, but that's better than where I thought the Steelers would be at this point in the season. I thought they would work through their progressions with the rookie, take the growing pains, the results were less important. And, and what we talked about back in Week 8 was that Mike Tomlin genuinely believed this was a team that could make the playoffs, and they've gone 4-2 and two in the time since then. All against teams that are below 500. Again, they they lost their two games in division to the Ravens and Bengals, both of whom are playoff teams. They lost to the two playoff teams, and they beat all of the non-playoff teams. They beat the Falcons. They beat the Panthers. They beat the Saints. They beat the Colts. And you know what? The Steelers are a third-place team this year, and that's better than I thought the Pittsburgh Steelers would be. So uh, they are as good as the Atlanta Falcons. They are as good as the New Orleans Saints. They are as good as the Green Bay Packers. 
They are as good as the New York Giants. And I think that is an incredibly successful season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So congratulations, Pittsburgh. You have worked through your growing pains. And even if you lose a a couple of draft positioning picks, I think the progressions of your offense. I know Deontay Johnson still has zero touchdowns this year, but Najee Harris has five touchdowns in the last five games. They haven't scored they they haven't scored a lot of points on offense and still have question marks at the quarterback position. You can draft a really good offensive lineman in the middle of the first round. Offensive linemen constantly get undervalued. Pittsburgh, you are working towards something. And I'm glad to see that because we haven't acknowledged you in the last seven weeks. Ever since I declared your season over, I haven't watched a lot of your games, considering that the games that you've won have been against shitty teams. And I don't want to watch Ravens and Steelers if Lamar Jackson isn't playing because it was a 16-14 to 14 snooze fest. But you know what, Pittsburgh? Good job. You need you are in the same position as the Atlanta Falcons. And you, the best thing I can say about the Atlanta Falcons is I see the vision. I can see the vision of what the Falcons are building towards, and I can see the vision of what the Pittsburgh Steelers are building towards. Offensive line ain't sexy, but draft an offensive lineman, Pittsburgh. Atlanta, drafting a corner isn't sexy. Might want to draft a corner in the first round this year. Might want to actually draft defense, Atlanta. Pittsburgh might actually want to draft offensive line. You know what? I see the vision. Do the hard right thing this offseason because you're building an offense that doesn't really need a quarterback to be successful. And Pittsburgh still has a very good defense built on TJ Watt, who is still an in-his-prime Hall of Famer. I see the vision, Pittsburgh. I see the vision you are working towards. It might take a couple of years. You might never win a playoff game with the core of this team. But I see the vision of getting back to competitive football. So congratulations. You are better than I thought. Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm not being sarcastic by any stretch of the imagination. I stopped watching your games after week eight, and you have been doing good things according to the record and according to the box scores that I just read. And I saw some of those uh, when they showed up on the Panthers and Steelers game today on the on the NFL Red Zone. That the Steelers were on the Red Zone channel a lot. That's something that hasn't happened the last few weeks. The Steelers were in the Red Zone pretty consistently. They had a bunch of scores with George Pickens and Najee Harris, and even though it was Trubisky at quarterback, and even though they haven't scored more than 20 points, or sorry, they haven't, until today, they hadn't scored more than 20 points in four weeks and hadn't scored more than 24 more than one time this season. They have one game of scoring more than 24 points, and that was the loss against the Bengals with the garbage time score. Even though they haven't scored more than 24 points in a victory all season, I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers had a swell game today, and I think that Mitchell Trubisky looked not abjectly terrible. It's funny how Mitchell Trubisky looks as good as Kenny Pickett, but because Pickett's injured and it's not like he he's the alternative, It kind of suggests to me that that's probably the progression that Pickett is headed towards. Now, will an improved offensive line give him a chance to improve similar to what we saw with Jalen Hurts or what I think might happen if the Titans committed to Malik Willis? Absolutely, I think that's a possibility. They could absolutely carry this out with Kenny Pickett. He's the guy they wanted as their long-term option, and I think that he is a mid-level quarterback so far right now as we're starting to build out a sample size of what Kenny Pickett is about to be. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Make sure to leave a five-star review, download, all that good stuff. If you're, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just start downloading some episodes. Just, just download three, four, five, fifty, a 100. If you leave a review saying that you downloaded 250 episodes, I will go pay you money. I will find you. I will Venmo you. If you drop your Venmo, I will I will send you a little bit of money to help support this podcast. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. Take it easy, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.